This is Neil Erwitz. I'm the Director of External Relations here at the Center for a New American Security, here today with Lauren DeYoung Shulman, who is our Liani Panetta Senior Fellow. Uh, the President is just back from a nine-day trip to uh, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and all over Europe. A uh, lot to discuss here, a lot to unpack. Lauren, thanks. Thank you for having me. So you've been on these trips before with, uh, with Presidents. How did this one go? Well, first of all, this trip was a lot longer than the first trip of most presidents. Uh, typically, President Obama, President Bush, they would go to Mexico or Canada or something that was a bit easier. This was a huge trip by anyone's standards. Uh, and the president did all right in terms of maximizing the goals that he wanted to accomplish. But I think it's clear to anyone who was watching that it was a bit exhausting, not only for him, but also for his staff. And that's completely natural on a trip that length. So you mentioned his goals. Um, what what were his goals? You know, it's interesting. The trip kind of read like an essay that has more than one author uh, in that the first part of the trip in Saudi Arabia and in Israel seemed to be extremely well prepared. They were trying to make a good impression on one another, both the president and his hosts. They came with, if not actual deliverables, then with, you know, rhetoric that would be welcomed by the people that he was meeting with. Uh, whereas in the Europe part of the trip, I think most Europe watchers would have thought that the goal was very simple. Just make a good impression, um, play nice with his fellow European leaders, and bottom line, say something about Article 5. And the president clearly did not come in with those goals, or if he did, he decided to discard them. Uh, he was much more, I would say, combative um, with his European counterparts and did not accede to their, their hope that he would uh, make some kind of mention of the Article 5 part of NATO, the NATO agreement. That's the Mutual Defense Clause. The Mutual Defense Clause, exactly. Uh, going into the G7, similarly, I think that uh, there was a quote by a senior administration official that the president saw that as much more of a chance to, quote, hobnob with his fellow leaders, get to know them, whereas they were expecting it to be something where more in a policy sense was accomplished, whether on trade, climate, migration, and were a bit dissatisfied on all of those fronts. Uh, and, you know, honestly, on a, a trip, as I said, on a trip of this length, you are going to have, uh, the, the expectations are always going to be different with an actu what actually comes out of it. Uh, we can't orchestrate every piece of a trip. Certainly can't, you can't orchestrate every piece of a summit where there are dozens of other senior leaders. Though one would like to hope you can orchestrate a prepared speech. You can, one can hope you can orchestrate a prepared speech. Uh, in, in terms of the prepared speech part at NATO, it, it was interesting. You saw that the his advisors were leaking to the press. Yes, of course, he's going to make mention of Article 5. Yes, of course, he's going to pay tribute to this, as all prior presidents have. And he did not, which tells me that that was a very deliberate choice on the president's part. It wasn't a matter of a policy choice that, you know, that had been deliberated and thought about, but that he had decided this is not something that he wanted to pursue. So then, I mean, you've, you've helped plan these trips before. Would that would, would that have been a last-minute audible, even 
during the speech by the president, or would that have been something that his advisors were actually aware of, or am I asking you to guess at an answer that you couldn't possibly know? I, I couldn't possibly know for certain. Uh, I think a good comparison to make here is look at the remarks that he made in Saudi Arabia, and also to some degree in Israel. He made several comments there that contradicted his campaign statements, whether about Saudi Arabia, uh, without, about Islamic partners and allies in the fight on terror, um, and just another a number of other themes that were at least somewhat contradictory of things he had said previously. Going into Europe, he was either due to exhaustion or just due to this is what he firmly believes, he was much more consistent with his campaign rhetoric, whether asking NATO allies to pony up more for the defense, uh, being frustrated with them in terms of trade policies, things that came more naturally to him and his sort of his shtick, I would say. Uh, and that can be, as I said, it could be due to exhaustion, like you come back to statements that are more comfortable to you. Um, you saw a lot of the staff kind of dropped off throughout the trip. Kushner left, Priebus left. Uh, others departed, so that he was left with a smaller group of people personally advising him towards the end it, at NATO and the G7. So any number of those factors could have impacted his decision to say, I'm not going to kind of pay tribute to NATO in the way that was expected. Uh, and I could only guess, but I, I would surmise that at least one of them is you don't have a lot of people who are pushing him in his administration to take that role in NATO mm -hmm. right now. So one last question. Uh, Vice President Pence, Secretary Mattis, Secretary Tillerson have been much more comforting to NATO, for, for want of a better term, than has the president. How are they doing with this ambiguity? If their goal is to reassure our European allies and partners that, don't worry, the your, United States will be there for you regardless of what the president may be saying, they're not succeeding terribly well. The person that they're looking to in this is the president. Uh, and you know, saying that he has a commitment to Article 5, it's not a blood oath, and it's not a commitment to say that we're going to be sending troops overseas tomorrow. Uh, but it's not something that would be you know, terribly difficult for him to do. The fact that he's chosen not to do it has made a really big impression that will be very difficult for the more pro-Europe pro parts of his administration to overcome in any way. Um, and, and even McMaster said, you know, just by him being here, or McMaster Spicer said, just by him being here, he's making that commitment. Yeah. Our European partners weren't hearing it that way. They were waiting for him to make that verbal commitment and did not... Uh, want to accommodate him any more than they had already done so. Well, thank you. I'm sure we'll be discussing this for quite a while. Thanks for having me.